All right, we are back to podcast. I hope everyone is doing well. We've had a good day in the Lord, and uh, we're so thankful for Him and all of His blessings. We're going to start in Second uh, Corinthians chapter one. Second Corinthians chapter number one. Of course, Paul uh, is the penman of this particular book as well. This letter, second Corinthian, second letter to the Corinthians, it is widely believed and probably accurate that uh, there there was a third letter, but uh, it was not obviously it was not inspired, um, or it would be in the canon of scriptures. But this one would be uh, be his second letter of inspiration to the Corinthian church. You're going to find, and as I've already made mention uh, several times, that it is a uh, it's a vastly different book than First Corinthians. First Corinthians, to me, it, it's a hard book. You know, it's it's definitely um, it's it's uh, not the always the most fun material to address. Um, Second Corinthians is. A, a lot different in regards to the fact that there's not a lot of rebuke. There is apologetics, and let, let me define apologetics for you. It's a it's a term. Uh, it's not a Bible. It's not a term found in the Bible. It's a term that has uh, been made popular in description of a a particular type of teaching of the Bible. But apologetics basically means to defend. Um, and so you you hear the phrase to defend the faith and, and so forth. You, that's typically how we tie in the, the term apologetics. Well, in this, um, we are we are looking at um, as we look at Second Corinthians, it's Paul not not apologizing for or, or defending. The Christian faith, as much as he is himself, his ministry, his his ministry has been called into question. His his um, uh, leadership, his apostleship, his sincerity, so much, and you know, it's just just shows you the nature of people, the nature of people. I, I believe this with all my heart, or I wouldn't say it. I believe this, that Jesus Christ is the example. He is the first uh, Christian per se. He is Christ, Christian. He is Jesus Christ himself, the epitome of Christianity, the epitome of what a Christian should be. But if we were ranking, if we were ranking, you, Paul's, Paul's, he, he's next. I mean, and, and I understand Jesus said John was the greatest. Paul wasn't saved yet, John the Baptist. And he was also referring to the prophets. I love John the Beloved. I love the relationship and the closeness that he had with Jesus. But, you know, John was a, a jealous fella. He uh, was a very emotional and rash fella. He wanted to call fire down from heaven and kill people and 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 so you know you see that well Paul 
I'm telling you, Paul endured. Paul, with all the zeal, with all the gusto, with all the love, with all the desire that he could he could have, he, he had it for Jesus. The same veracity that he went after Christians in killing Christians before his salvation, he took that and he utilized that as a uh, a safe person in in following Jesus. And so I've said all that to say this. If somebody could question Paul, they're going to question anybody. If you can find something wrong with Paul, you can be critical of Paul. Negative things to say with Paul, then you know what? They're probably going to have those things to say about us too. So we'll we'll move on. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter one, verse number one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he starts right away. I'm an apostle by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. So he tells us that's that's the introduction. He is saying, uh, Timothy is with me. And I'm writing this letter to the saints that are at the church at Corinth. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So he starts his letter with grace. And you'll find that it's gracious throughout. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, now, I like that. Verse 4, not out of our tribulation. He doesn't say he's comforting us by getting us out of our tribulation. He says, who comforteth us in all of our tribulations. So while we're still in it, he brings us comfort. And it's like, uh, you know, Wayne was texting this week. Beautiful, beautiful. Just speaking of the peace of God. And, and the peace of God that uh, passes all understanding. And it does. And I'm, I'm so thankful uh, for that. And uh, that's, that's our context here. All right? Is the peace of God. The peace of God that, that we have. Now stay with me. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So notice that. We, we will be able to be a comfort and a blessing to other people that are in any kind of trouble because we understand the comfort that God gives us in our trouble. That's not easy to teach. That's not easy to preach. It's definitely not easy to live. The old saying, easy, easy preaching, hard living. And Paul is simply saying that the, the trouble that I go through, the distress that I go through, the problems that I go through, um, if I can use them to be a comfort to others when they're in any trouble, then you know what? I see some good out of what I went through. And, um, you know, I... There's so much that's that's went on in, in my life that I never asked for. But, you know, I, I've always 
said, if I could give somebody some hope that's been been at the bottom and they didn't want it and they didn't ask for it and they didn't look for it and it wasn't what they intended, um, the, if I can give somebody some kind of hope to not give up or quit, then it's it's worth it. And that's what Paul's saying here. Verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. So to abound means to overflow. The sufferings of Jesus Christ is overflowing within us. That's what he's saying. Now, watch this. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which also we suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the suffering, so shall ye be also of the consolation. So obviously, Paul is seeing and hearing and finding out that there are some folks in Corinth that are going through some difficult times as well, some difficult times there themselves. And he is writing to minister that to minister to those folks. Um Verse 8, for we would not, brethren, have you ignorant. I love this. I love this is one of my favorite verses right here. We would not have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. He's saying, I, I'm going to tell you about this. That we were pressed out of measure. The the term pressed <clears throat> pressed out of measure gives the idea of being in a mold and a certain amount. Uh, be poured into the mold. You know, it's, it could be a cookie mold, a jello mold, a concrete mold. But there is a mold and there is liquid being poured into it or some type of batter or, or a concrete form. And it's being poured into this mold and too much is poured in and it begins to overflow. And that's that's what he's saying here. Pressed out of measure, that we, we I got to the place he says that so much come against me that I, I felt like I was I was losing my shape. I was shaped spiritually. I was losing my form. I was losing my way. I was pressed completely out of measure. Not only that, above strength, above the strength that I had. Insomuch that we despaired even of life. Paul saying it got to the place where I, I did not enjoy. I despaired the fact that I was alive. My very life, Paul is saying, I despaired being alive. Now that, that's a terrible, that's a terrible place to be at in any capacity. Verse 8, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also helping together by prayer for us that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Now, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with a fleshly wisdom, 
but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you, word. For we write none other things unto you than that which we read or acknowledge, and I trust you shall acknowledge even to the end. As also ye have acknowledged us in part that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus, saying we rejoice in one another. Uh, the Corinthians, did, did look, at, look how different this letter is. So we're going to have a great chapter on repentance in a little bit that begins to teach us that, and, and this first chapter teaches us. This is why we we are doing Second Corinthians chapter or Second Corinthians after First Corinthians because First Corinthians was so hard, it was so difficult. We dealt with so many different issues, and now we're going into Second Second Corinthians, and guess what we're finding? We're finding number one that Paul looks at them very differently than how he did in First Corinthians. What that tells us is they hearkened unto the lessons that he was teaching them, and it tells us that they repented. They repented. And can I tell you that therein lies a great, great relationship. Some of the best relationships that I have on the face of this earth are people that I had to go to in, in some type of discipline or rebuke or hard situation or circumstance. And once that got cleared up and repentance was, was seen and recognized and took place, the relationship just was so wonderful. And that's what Paul's saying. He, people aren't taking it personal. There is elements of repentance in, in their lives where they have gotten right as Paul has taught them what God was saying. And now he's saying, I rejoice in you. I find joy in the fact that you exist. I find joy in your life. That's, that's what Paul's getting at here. Verse 15, And to this confidence I was minded to come unto you before that you might have a second benefit and to pass by you into Macedonia, and to come and come out of Macedonia unto you, and to be brought on my way toward Judea. When I, therefore, was thus minded, did I use lightness or things that I purpose? Do I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? But as God is true, and one word towards you was not yea and nay, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, given even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea, yea, and nay, nay, but in him was yea. For the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. I love that. For the promises of God are yea, and in him amen. What that means is the promises of God are steadfast, they are eternal, and you can, you can count on them. You, you, people will make promises to you, and they will, they will break their promises. You ever had anybody break a, a promise to you? Have you ever had anyone tell you they were going to do something and they didn't, or they felt a certain way about you to the positive, and you found out that maybe they didn't? They just broke their word. They broke their promise. Okay? 
Well, and, and that hurts. It hurts. I mean, I've, I've had vows broken to me, you know, and, and many of you have. It hurts. It hurts beyond recognition in many cases. But notice what the Bible says. The promises of God are in him, yea, and amen. Meaning, what he promises, you, you, can, you can take it to the bank. You can mark it down. They are firm and they are steadfast. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Tim- Timotheus, was not yea, yea, nay, nay, but in him was just yea. It was positive. It was affirmative. It was what he, he give us. Verse 21, Now he which establisheth us with us in you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. So the one that established us was God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. I like that. Let me explain verse 22 for you. The earnest of the Spirit. Anybody ever had to, uh, you've bought a home and you had to give earnest money? It was kind of promise money. It was kind of down payment money. It was upfront money with the intent that you were going further with your commitment. So that that's what that's what um, that that's what earnest means. That's what earnest money means. It means to show you and demonstrate for you my commitment to purchasing this item, this home. I'm giving you a lump sum of money. Now, what does that got to do with us? Look, who hath sealed us. So right there, the Spirit of God has sealed us. Now, we think of the term seal in, say, a Ziploc bag or or airtight or seal something up. That is an accurate look at it. We're sealed unto the day of redemption. But that's not the immediate context given to us in 2 Corinthians. The immediate context of the sealing that we have in 2 Corinthians is when a letter would be written or a document would would be, you know, uh, signed off on, okay, there would be a seal, Okay, we, we still see that with notary republics. They put the seal on it. Um, your graduation, you, it will be sealed. Official documents will be sealed. This is good. The fact that we are sealed by him until the day of redemption means that Jesus Christ takes his stamp, his signet, his stamp of approval, and he puts it upon us and says, they are mine. This is an official document. Something official occurred. Something official happened. And that is a new birth took place that they became mine. They were my enemy. They were apart from me. They were not reconciled to me, but I drew them to myself. And when I did so, they became mine, and I'm putting my stamp of ownership and approval on them. That's what it says. Look. Who hath also sealed us and given the earnest. So he sealed us. He's put his stamp upon us. And then the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. He just give us the down payment of his 
So all of this good stuff that the Spirit of God has given us, the fruit of the Spirit and teaching us and guiding us and comforting us and loving us, as wonderful as it all is, it is simply a down payment. It's earnest money, if you please. It is just partial to what God's going to ultimately give us for all of eternity. That's good. That's good stuff. I told you 2 Corinthians is different. We've already started off different. What allowed it to be different? The fact that the people got right with God. You see that their relationship with Paul changed when their hearts got right. When their lives got right. Now watch. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul. He says, I call God to, to be a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. So I like what he says there. He says, we're not having dominion over your faith. That is... I'm closing with that verse, but that is something that preachers learn. I, I pastor much differently than I did the first time. I, I, I don't say it's better. I don't say it's worse. But when I was young, you didn't play God necessarily. Or that's not the thinking, but you. I did exercise what I perceived more or attempted more dominion, not for control, but because I felt like I had to fix. I felt like I had to put my hands on. I felt like I needed to to uh, touch it and make it better and con control the outcome. And and it got to the place, and it can get to the place where you, you feel like or to some degree, you're exercising some dominion over faith. Well, the Bible is very clear against that for anyone, not just a preacher, not just a pastor, to not exercise dominion over faith, but for anyone. Paul said, I'm not exercising dominion over your faith. I'm going to love you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to... Uh, and, and you see, that's the difference in Catholicism as well. Catholicism wants to control aspects of people's lives and have dominion over their faith and be popes and, and priests over people's lives. That's, that's not the Bible way for a minister. My role is to teach you the Word of God, to teach you about God, to teach you the relationship with God that is possible through the Word of God and through His Spirit. But to not have control over the situations of your life. That's, no man can do that. That's too much. And, and, it, and it affected me as a pastor. It wears you down. And so you, you can't control the outcomes and the things that occur in folks' lives. You can't control their decisions. You don't have dominion over someone else's faith. If Paul didn't have dominion over someone's faith, I can promise you I don't. And neither do you. And so what, what is our role? Well, it depends on your role in the body of Christ. Mine as a preacher, a pastor, a teacher is to teach and to explain and to 
and to give the Word of God, to feed the flock of God. But it's not to exercise dominion. Your role may be different. You might also have the ability to teach. You may be an encourager. You may be an exhorter. You may be, you know, like Barnabas. But you may be a, a, a server. We don't know. Everyone has different roles. But the bottom line is none of us have dominion over someone else's faith. We are to be there for support, love, care, guidance, teaching, correcting, uh, admonishing, rebuking, different realms, but we don't have control. And the minute that you, the old saying goes, you resign yourself as CEO of the universe, and the minute you resign yourself as CEO over somebody else's spirituality, and the minute you resign yourself of someone that would have dominion over someone else's situation, guess what? Life just got better for you. And for them too. We're not to exercise dominion over folks' faith. Love, support, care, rebuke, teach. So many roles we can have, but dominion's not one of them. Dominion means control. Boy, this is so already better. <laughs> and I, well, let me let me. I don't want to say that because it's the word of God. So right, let me re, let me backtrack and not say better. It's already lighter. Second Corinthians is already lighter, and you'll find that it will continue to be lighter throughout the entire uh, book, and it'll be very enjoyable. So I hope you've enjoyed Second Corinthians chapter one. We'll be in chapter two next. I love you all. Have a great evening. And see you Wednesday.